During the annual Oxford Literary Festival in 2019, the Blackwell's tent was filled with inspired foodies as Kate Young talked food and cookbooks with us. The Little Library Cookbook is Kate's quirky yet precious book released in 2017. Each recipe in this wonderful collection is literary themed. From honey and rosemary cakes from Winnie the Pooh to jollof rice from Americana, there's recipes in here for everyone. Kate's latest book, The Little Library Year, is available now. Thank you. Thank you. Hi there. Thanks for coming out. Um, and thank you for having me, Blackwells, at the Oxford Literary Festival. Um, I'm going to talk for a little bit and then give you time to ask some questions if you'd like. I kind of want to give an overview of how the book started and then how we made it. Um, but if there's anything else you want to know that comes up during the talk, just stick your hand up and ask while I'm talking because it's probably better than waiting till the end. I'm, I'd much rather respond to your questions and make sure that we're covering what you're here to listen to. Um, so I, I started this now five years ago. Um, I was feeling particularly lonely and homesick in London. I moved over from Australia in 2009, so I'd been here about five years. And I felt very much like this was the place I wanted to be home. I wanted it to be the place that I spent the whole rest of my life. Um, but I was feeling quite disconnected from it and feeling quite anxious and had a really stressful job. And so I decided that I wanted to reconnect with some of the books from my childhood. And the way that that manifested was I had dinner one Saturday night, had some friends round and decided that what I wanted to serve everyone for dessert was a treacle tart. I'd never made a treacle tart before. I'd never tasted a treacle tart before. And I bought a tin of treacle before looking at any recipe and realizing it doesn't have treacle in it. Um, and the reason that I wanted to do that was because it's Harry Potter's favorite dessert. And I thought that if there was something that sort of made Harry Potter feel at home on the first night in Hogwarts that made sense to him, I'd go, yes, that's something I want to try as well. So I made that treacle tart, told my friends that story, and they sort of said, maybe it's something you could put up online. And so I put a recipe up online on a very old school now looking blog. Um, and I started posting a recipe a week. And for the first... I'd say nine months to a year, uh, 50 to 60% of my readership was my mother going onto different computers in her office and reading it in various different places to make it look like I had a bigger readership than I did, which was a very kind thing and then not such a kind thing to tell me that she was doing. Um, but uh, towards the end of that year, it sort of got a bit of traction. Um, the blog host WordPress, which was where it originally was, chose it as one of their best food blogs. And suddenly it had a bit of a readership. And then about three months later, I submitted one of the pictures I'd taken for fried chicken and rolls from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, the breakfast that Atticus Finch has on the first morning of the trial, that all the, all the people from the town bring him the ingredients. And that's what Calpurnia makes him for breakfast before he goes into court um, and I, I sent them a picture the Guardian they were doing this tell us your memories of To Kill a Mockingbird for the release of Ghost at a Watchman and I sent in the photo and they said the thing is you're not actually allowed to do that you can't steal people's pictures from other parts of the the web um, but if this is your picture and this link to my website is your website maybe get in touch with us because we love it um, and so I did and they did and 24 hours later they'd put up a, a sort of a picture gallery of 10 of the photos that I'd taken and 10 links to my recipes and that day instead of having maybe 80 to 100 people visit my blog I had 25,000 and 
by the time I woke up the next morning, I had emails from publishers, emails from agents, emails from people saying, surely this is going to be a book. Um, I was loving my job as a theatre producer and leaving it to write a book was not the original plan. Um, but by the end of that year, I'd kind of fallen in love with the idea of it. And I wrote a proposal for this book and sold it to Head of Zeus in just after Christmas in 2016. So the very beginning of 2016. Um, and then spent the next 18 months uh, living and working as a nanny in London. So I, I left my job as a theatre producer and decided that I wanted to stay in London to be near my publisher and near my agent and near all my friends. I didn't quite want to commit to moving somewhere else yet. I now live in the Cotswolds, but I spent the last couple of years in London. And, uh, and I tried out all the recipes on these small children that I was looking after. Uh, some were more successful than others. There's a black pepper and sesame ice cream in the book that, oh, I must have made eight times and they hated it every time. Most adults who eat it really like it, but I never got the kids around to it. But generally, they really enjoyed making puff pastry, eating cream horns, uh, having toad in the hole once a week. All of the recipes that I was perfecting was kind of a joy to try in a house where I was working as a nanny. Um, and and we had this really joyful process. I keep looking at the book because uh, we had this really joyful process of making the book. All the photographs are taken in the house where I was nannying. Um, all of the photographs are taken by a friend of mine from university who I had known for 10 years, who we both trained as teachers together um, and both did our final like prac placements in school together um, in the same staff room. And in the same month in 2014, we both started writing stuff online. She started a photo journal of travel photos she was taking as she was moving around the States. And I started my blog and we both decided to work together on the photographs. So I can be really smug and talk about how beautiful the book is because the photographs are so stunning. And Jessie, who works at Head of Zeus, Jessie Bryce, her design of it is so beautiful. It's so stunningly put together. So it's become from this blog that nobody was reading, um, but that I committed to doing because I, I wanted this creative project that was just my thing and not being a producer in a theatre where your job is essentially to say, no, we don't have the money to everyone who wants to do a creative project. Um, it became this this book and now almost now going to be two books uh, as of October. Um, it's It's been an extraordinary thing. Generally, what people want to hear about is how I, I'm open to questions, but how I picked the recipes that ended up going in there. So part of my deal was that by the time I was writing the book, I'd put about 140 recipes up online. So they were, they ranged from directly, like things that were absolutely directly out of a book. So there's a mention of Toad in the Hole in Adrian Mole because uh, Nigel, Adrian's best friend, gets sent to detention because he set, he goes to get lunch one day and says that the toad in the hole is all bleeding hole and no toad. And so there is that direct mention, and that is exactly what I wanted to make. But these honey cakes are obviously not directly in Winnie the Pooh. There's just an abundance of honey in Winnie the Pooh, so I wanted to make them into a honey cake. So there's a combination of things in the book that are sort of exactly as they are mentioned in the book, and some that are very closely inspired by something that happens in the book or an ingredient in the book or some reference, passing reference to a food stuff. 
So I had this back catalogue of, of lots of different recipes. But the way that a cookbook works is very different to the way that a blog works. And the biggest thing I wanted to do was make it work as a cookbook first and foremost. And then secondly, as this quite nice link to literature that people would enjoy and that people would identify with. Um, I think that it could have ended up and if if the editor Maddie hadn't been as brilliant as she she was it could have ended up being quite a gimmicky thing where it was just a maybe a, a book you'd pull down from the shelf when you were having a Game of Thrones themed party or something but not a book that you used on a Tuesday night when you wanted to serve dinner and what I wanted was the second I wanted it to be a functional cookbook that had this link to literature as well and so we picked um recipes from literature that made total sense in the context of a cookbook that weren't too outlandish or um, wild. On the blog, there's sort of a recipe for a Whipple Scrumptious Fudge Melly Delight, which is the chocolate bar in which there's a golden ticket that Charlie Bucket finds and then gets to go to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Um, that chocolate bar took me, I, I would say, like easily eight hours to make. I've made it once and nobody has ever written to me saying, thanks for the recipe for that weird chocolate bar. I've definitely made it. It's a nice story. It's a nice thing to do. But the recipes in the book, as opposed to the recipes on the blog, I hope are more rooted in real life and are things you would make because you want to eat them rather than just, oh, great, that mention of that thing in that book, I, I wanted to see what that was like. So we talked about lots of different ways in which it might be structured um, and landed on it being a sort of a taking you through the day. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted a whole chapter on midnight feasts because they're such a, a memorable part for me of food and literature, this wonderful, rich uh, sort of uh, almost always sort of boarding school stories of children who wait until all the teachers have gone to bed and then sneak out of bed and go and find the tuck boxes and bring up sardines and ginger cake. It's, it's very Enid Blyton, but there's lots of other books that do it as well. Um, so I wanted Midnight Feasts and so decided that I wanted the book to take you through a day. So there's, there's breakfasts from literature, everything from the apple pie from the railway children to a sort of a fried egg and rice and pickles and miso soup from Norwegian Wood and a cinnamon buns from the goldfinch and pancakes from Pippi Longstocking. And then it goes through lunch, a big chapter on afternoon tea, because that felt like an important thing to have as well. Um, a chapter on dinner, one on midnight feasts, and then sort of two special chapters, one on big parties and celebrations, which is essentially the cakes you wouldn't make for dinner um, or for afternoon tea, but you could kind of justify if you were having, say, 20 people round. And then a big chapter on Christmas, because that's my favourite time of year and, and some of my favourite books are Christmas books. So I wanted to do the Turkish Delight from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and I wanted to do the Roast Goose Dinner and Christmas Pudding from A Christmas Carol, and I wanted to do the Bridget Jones's Diary Turkey Curry Buffet that they eat with the leftover turkey on, on New Year's Day. So it's full of those sort of things. Um, does anyone have any directions that you would like me to discuss or things, questions that you have? Yeah. Yes, we did. So the question was, did I need to cut out recipes that, that, I, ha that I wanted to go with? At one point, I think in the planning, there was a spreadsheet that had 280 recipes from different books on it. And that was a collection of all the things I really loved on the blog that I wanted to put in the book and ones that I'd been kind of saving for the book once I knew there was going to be a book. Um, 
and then it has to work it has to function and they're as somebody who has done now quite a lot of work on this um, and a lot of work on what food is there in literature, there's a lot of toast. There's a lot of roast chicken. There's a lot of very similar meals that crop up again and again. There's lots of characters that sit down to a tea of scones and jam and cream because it's something that feels so particular to a time or a place. It tells a story and that's why it really works. But um, so what I had to do was sit down with that list and really cull what didn't make sense. I lost a couple of, of recipes that I really loved, some of which have ended up in the second book, which is great. Um, but I also ended up fighting for the inclusion of some recipes because I loved the book so much. Um, there's, a, according to the editor at one point, there is too much baking with honey because I really love sweet things with honey instead of with sugar. Um, but I fought really hard to keep those cakes in because they're my favorite thing. And now they're the thing that people message me about all the time. They're like, I made those cakes. They're great. Um, so I fought really hard to keep that as well as the bread, butter and honey from uh, I Capture the Castle because Winnie the Pooh and I Capture the Castle were two books I definitely wanted in there. So sometimes I was fighting for a recipe I thought was really good that I wanted to keep in. And sometimes it was about making sure that the novel or the story that I really loved or that I grew up with or I had a special connection to remained in the book and, and that I made sure to include it. So yes, there were lots of different moments at which this could have been a very different collection of a hundred different recipes. Um, but I'm really glad that this is what we've landed on. The second book has a hundred and I think it's 129 recipes now. Um, so it's sort of a, it doesn't feel bigger, um, but it technically I think is by sort of 16 pages or something. Um, and that is lots of the ones that I really loved and, and wanted to include and didn't get to have ended up in there. That's the nice thing about being able to sign a deal for book two is like, oh, here's the things I'm starting with already. Was it my choice to put the recipes in because they're ones that I love or because I think that they're ones that people will cook? And am I aware of what demographic I'm aiming for in terms of putting a cookbook out there and saying, hey, you can cook these things? There are... and. There's a bit of both in there. So I certainly am aware of needing to make sure that the recipes are accessible. The last, you know, as I said, the thing I wanted it to be first and foremost was a recipe book that people cooked from. I don't want it to, I'm happy if it sits on somebody's bedside table or on somebody's coffee table and they show pictures to their friends or they read it for the narrative elements. That's absolutely fine with me. Please buy my book for any reason you like. <laughs> but... Um, I would love it if people cooked from it. And so it needs to be accessible. So what I what that means to me is that, yes, there are a few recipes in there that take the best part of a Saturday because it might be that you want to do that on a Sunday. Like loads of cookbooks that I love, the recipes that I do end up cooking from them are ones that take half a day or a whole day because that's the th sort of thing I love to do on a weekend. But I also wanted to make sure that there were loads of recipes in there that you could make when you get home from work of an evening that with ingredients that are accessible from your local supermarket. And that if there are ingredients in there that might not be accessible from your local supermarket, that I'm sort of clear about where there are alternatives or where I end up substituting something else in if I haven't got it at home, so that you're not ever put off doing a recipe because you don't live where I lived in Hackney with all the supermarkets that I had around me with sort of Asian food supermarkets and with the Turkish supermarket up the road that, you know, supplied all sorts of great produce. Um, I now live in not London 
Um, and that has changed how book two was written because I was so much more aware of how difficult it is to get your hands on specific ingredients for the and that putting 15 grams or 10 grams of an ingredient that's difficult to get hold of into a recipe is a big choice. And so it, fe it was something I questioned a lot more if, in book two. And I looked back at book one, there's not much in there I would change now at all. But I think that book two, I've been even more aware of how difficult it can be to open up a cookbook and go, I don't know where to get any of these ingredients. And I don't know any of these techniques. So I want it to, to feel accessible, even if there are a handful of recipes in the book that you go, oh yeah, I'm not touching that one. Um, there are a handful of recipes in the book that I don't remake very often. So I, I wouldn't really suggest that anyone make their own puff pastry with any regularity. Like, don't. It's great from a supermarket. You know, you don't need to make puff pastry. But um, I did for the book and I had great fun doing it. It just so happened that the day we did it was 29 degrees and I had to do it standing in the fridge rolling it out because I couldn't bring the puff pastry to the bench because it was literally that hot um, that it would just melt by the time I got there. So that was a big learning curve and a good thing to know um, that, sort of limits what people are going to do and access. The question was that I mentioned talking about the narrative in the book um, and whether I can talk something about that narrative. Um, the book is very much a collection of books that I love. And so I wanted to write something that had quite lengthy introductions to each recipe. Um, and I wanted to either connect that recipe or that book to something in that food. So to make sure that it's clear why I've picked that recipe or why I've picked that book or why I want to talk about that. Um, and so there is a, quite a lot of personal narrative in the book. There are some elements, I guess, in some ways, although it's a cookbook, it is also a memoir. It is about my history of reading. It's about my history of cooking. It's about how I learned to cook, which is not in a professional sense. That's It's very much from my family or from my friends. Um, and so there are lots of elements in there that to sort of discuss where those, those things link and intersect in my life. Um, the black sesame ice cream specifically was made for my grandmother because every Friday the 13th, which happens about twice a year, she has a black food dinner that she invites people to. And she'll invite sort of 13 people. She's quite superstitious. Um, she, I thought she was a witch until I was like 13. Um, she invites lots of people for dinner and she makes five courses and it's only black food. So it's chicken done in a tandoor that's completely blackened or it's a really lovely tapenade with, um, with dark black crackers that she's made from scratch. And she always finishes with hazelnut like and chocolate ice cream, which I think is the biggest cheat because it's brown. And so I made a black ice cream for her. But it also happens to be, and this is what this has always stuck in my head this moment, it happens to be what Cruella Deville eats for dessert is a black ice cream that tastes of pepper. So she has this this enormous meal, all of which is black, and the ice cream is also black and it tastes of pepper. So I wanted to do something that was both Cruella de Vil and my brilliant grandmother. This is the last thing I want to talk about is sort of how I develop recipes. Um, so developing recipes for the book was a really interesting process. Loads of it starts with historic research. For a book that is set anywhere that's not present day Britain, I start by researching what ingredients those characters might have had access to, 
um, who might have been doing the cooking in that house, what cookbooks they may have had around. So there's lots of stuff in the book that started, the recipe started as a Mrs. Beaton recipe because anything in sort of the late 19th century, that was the cookbook that was around in lots of people's kitchens and homes. And so lots of the recipes started life as that. Sort of early 19th century, there's lots of recipes that started life as Hannah Glasses and then became adapted through that. Um, but... I keep coming back to this. What I want it to do, first and foremost, it's not a piece of historical food fiction. I'm not a food historian. And what I want it to do most prominently is work in your kitchen in 2019. And so although the Cratchits would have cooked their goose on a spit on Christmas Day, I'm not going to suggest you do because you don't have a spit in your very 21st century kitchen and so although there is sort of knowledge behind there of how that recipe may have worked originally my take on it is something that I hope works currently with a slight nod to where it might have come from or how it may have been done traditionally um, and so things like the curry from Vanity Fair is only with spices that were available in the UK in the mid-19th century. So all of these things sort of fed into how these recipes get developed. Recipes are one of those things that become as much a conversation as a piece of instruction. And so, so much of what anyone or what any cookbook writer makes and talks about is stuff that they have either learnt from other people that they've learnt and those people might be their family or it might be published other published food writers whose books you've picked up at some point. And so what I try and do where possible and where I remember where it's from is make sure that I reference why I started cooking that thing or where it originally came from. So there's a salmon dish in the next in the second book that's sort of a Japanese salmon bowl. And the, the, the piece of salmon in it is cooked the same way that Nigella Lawson cooks a piece of salmon in, I think it's simply Nigella or, or one of her like fast, faster meal dishes. And it's something I've cooked probably once every fortnight, maybe once a month for the past five years. So I remember where it's from, but it's now something I do by muscle memory because it's so familiar to me. But that is very much sort of making sure that I reference where things have come from and why I do them the way that I do them um, and and being sort of crediting other writers where I'm very clearly have sort of taken inspiration from somebody else's recipe. But that is how cooking works generally. Um, so I am going to end there. But thank you so much for coming out and, and listening. Thank you so much for um, eating the cakes and leaving me without any. That was awful. Um, and <laughs> thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Blackwells Presents. Visit our website at www.blackwells.com. Follow our Twitter and Instagram at, at @blackwelloxford. Check our event by page to see what exciting events are coming up in the bookshop. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which features many author interviews. Thank you for listening.